The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, Virginia Jablonski, retired from a career in private security in 2001 to focus on unresolved medical issues. Over the years, traditional medical treatment had not been effective, and the prescription medication she was taking finally caused her heart to stop beating, triggering a near-death experience in the early morning hours of her 47th birthday. Following her NDE, she realized she possessed extraordinary gifts, including being able to hear plants and animals talk. In her desire to regain her health, Ginny pursued an education in alternative therapies and began studying multiple energy healing modalities. Eventually, she combined all that she had learned and began to share it with others. Inspired and guided by these events, Ginny has focused her work on people and animals who have suffered abuse or neglect. Ginny, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you, Lee. What a pleasure it is to be able to share my story in this way. Well, it's wonderful to talk to someone out in Arizona and enjoying probably a warmer weather than we have right now in Maine. Ginny, you, you've said you actually experienced not only two NDEs, but two really miraculous uh, automotive-involved events. Tell us tell us about, uh, uh, well, let's start first with your, your first NDE, and then we'll move on to those STEs. Certainly. My first NDE took place when I was three months old. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I must say that I did not remember that NDE until I was going through extensive healing, utilizing, taking advantage of multiple energy healing modalities and hypnotic regressive techniques. In the healing process, I literally went backwards through my life and identified every traumatic event, clearing and releasing the trapped emotions, etc., so that I could feel strong enough, healthy enough, qualified to be able to share this work with other people. And about a year ago, during a regressive session, I saw a a baby. I had a vision of a baby. And when I realized that baby was me, I was very surprised. Hmm. But I did recall that when I was about 11 or 12, my mother told me that when I was three months old, I almost died. I had contracted whooping cough and I was in the hospital packed in ice in a tent and I had totally turned blue. And that the prognosis was not very positive. And in this regressive session, I began wailing, crying. I was very hysterical outwardly. And this is just a year ago, just crying and screaming out. The vision was that I did pass temporarily to the other side, and came face-to-face with Creator. I don't recall any tunnel of light. 
what I recall in this memory is a black velvety type of space and a booming voice that I perceived as loving and completely contradictory to all experience I had had thus far in my three months as well as nine-month gestation period in the womb. And I don't know that I saw any sort of golden or white light, but I certainly felt that this was definitely the creator or God, Uh um, whatever your preference was. Do you recall what the voice said to you? Very much, very much. I was in the throes of a very spirited debate with the creator that I did not want to continue in this life. Um, My mother had been a teenager when she got pregnant. Her family uh, was not at all supportive of it. Her father threw her down the front steps of the house and out of the house when um, he found out that she was pregnant. And so from the time I was in the womb, my life was threatened. Um, I can only imagine the fear that she experienced. And now, in hindsight, going through a lot of the ancestral lineage clearing that I have, there was a lot of fear and unworthiness and trauma and emotional abuse in my family lineage. So as a child, experiencing that all around me, the negative energies all around me, I was just absolutely convinced that I could not withstand the life that I perceived I was going to have. And so I was debating back and forth with the creator um, to allow me to be freed from this life. And he kept insisting that I should stay, that I needed to go back. There was something very important I needed to do. And I really tussled with him five or six times, and I I was hysterical. Mm. No, I'm going to be abused. I'm going to be, you know, raped. I'm going to be um, have a lot of negative experiences. So you and, had been able to see at that point, from that point in time, your your future. Yes, and I was able to feel the trauma and the unrest and the trauma that my mother was experiencing and the lack of love and the sense of unworthiness that she felt for herself that she was then passing on to me, which was leading me down a road that was not very pretty. Mm. And the creator resolved to, to say, look, you have to go back. There's something important you have to do. I will make you stronger to withstand this. And in hindsight, that makes so much sense because most people that have had the experiences that I have had truly have end up, ended up in really unsavory circumstances, you know, potentially jail, potentially prostitution, potentially drug overdose, you know, and yes. thank goodness none of those things happened to me. I was never addicted to drugs. I was never really falling in with the wrong crowd. 
I had plenty of opportunity to do so, but somehow um, I always skirted around those issues. And even though I was abused, I was molested at the early age of three. There was a, a lot of things I prefer not to go into on the program, but a lot of things happened to me that I seemed to recover from. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, everything was roses and I recovered and and I, you know, I really was able to carve out a beautiful life for myself. I was able to carve out um, a life that I was able to tolerate, but I don't feel necessarily in my life that I contributed to love and light as much as, as you know, one would like to say they did. Yes. So that was my memory of that, and it truly made so much sense. And as many NDEers do, you know, go on spiritual journeys and look for healing and look for answers, this really opened my eyes as to the deep-seated mistrust of God or Creator or anger at God or Creator that I felt inside me. It wasn't necessarily overt, but as we all know now, when we are clearing and healing on a journey, we find buried subconscious thoughts and and patterns in us. And this event really helped to shed a lot of light on that for me. Yes. It's very, very eye opening, I'm sure. Uh, do you recall anything more of that, uh, your, the return to your body? I do not. Um, that was oh. more, I was very hysterical at that point, And it was more, I did a lot of forgiveness work around that, clearing the cellular memory, the trauma, um, and that type of thing. Mm. Now you mentioned, uh, that you had two, uh, basically miraculous, uh, saves from automotive disaster. Why don't you tell us about that? Sure. I'm not certain of the exact date, but I believe it was right around 1996. I was a passenger on a motorcycle traveling, I'm guessing 90, 95 miles an hour on the freeway in the marina in the Los Angeles area. And um, it felt as if someone, I had my hands wrapped around the waist of the driver who was not my husband. It was a, a friend of mine and my husband. It felt as if someone grabbed my right hand <clears throat> and I began to be caught into the turbulence behind me and my body shifted to the right and my arm was flailing out behind me. I had a very heavy helmet on so I couldn't scream or ask for help and my face was facing backwards and I could see the black sedan behind us only maybe, you know, 15 or 20 yards behind us. And I was resolved, wow, this is where I'm going to die, right on the windshield of that car. And I could feel my um, my body leaving the seat of the motorcycle, and I just surrendered. And miraculously, what I can only describe as the hand of God, a, a an invisible energetic force propelled my entire body back onto the seat of the motorcycle and whipped my right arm back around the waist of the driver. Wow. When we arrived at our destination, I didn't tell him. I, he didn't say anything. He didn't think anything odd had transpired. I didn't feel that he would believe me. But when I did get home, I shared it with my husband. Um, 
Oftentimes, people describe these experiences as spiritually transformative experiences. And one would think that that would have been spiritually transformative for me. But as I said, in my life, I really never experienced exposure to spirituality, anything new age or alternative. I didn't know what a near-death experience was. I was very... um uh, ignorant, I, I guess one would say, um, to these types of topics. And I just sort of filed that away and went on with my life. Wow. That's amazing. Um, and then you had a second, uh, I guess not really a similar encounter, but um, something equally amazing. Tell us about that. Yes. Uh, now, this experience I have had other people, medium, psychics, Akashic Records readers look at to ensure that, to validate this, to ensure that I'm sharing a true experience. Um, because many people question, uh, you know, uh, many of us who have these types of experiences. Um, so I have had this validated from many, many sources. Around 1998, I believe it was 1998, I was driving my SUV in the fast lane on the 10 freeway in San Bernardino County in Los Angeles area, east of Los Angeles, traveling about 80, 85 miles an hour in the fast lane when my husband called me on the telephone and informed me that he needed to have surgery. All my life, I had been hypersensitive. I had, in hindsight, I had had some interesting abilities, which I just sort of chalked up to intuition. One of them was that I was so hypersensitive. If I saw someone with a cast on their leg, I would feel the pain of the broken bone. If I um, knew that someone was sick, I would become nauseous, etc. And when he told me that he needed uh, an operation, I began to pass out. And my vision narrowed. And I looked to the right, and there was a cab of a semi-truck right next to my car, just traveling as fast as I was, and the cab was a little in front of me. And I looked at the next lane in front of the semi-truck, and there was another semi-truck lined up right in front of him. And then the fourth lane of the highway, there was another semi-truck right in front of them. And right in front of the semi-truck, as I looked, I could see an an off-ramp. And it would have been virtually humanly impossible to accelerate in a split second and make it to the off-ramp. Because if you were to count 1001, 1002, that off-ramp would have disappeared in front of that third semi-truck. And I began to slump down in my seat. I remember dropping my cell phone and passing out. And when I woke up some 20 minutes later, and we know it was 20 minutes because I then called my husband back on my cell phone. Mm. I was sitting in a McDonald's parking lot just off of that exit. Wow. And I had completely lost consciousness. Now, I've had hypnotic regressions and Akashic Records readings and mediums and psychics look at this. And what I have been shown and told... Um, the first time I ever shared this story with someone, they immediately sort of shook their head and eyes wide open said, 
wow, I just had a vision of an angel reaching down and lifting up your car and moving it into the parking lot. And beyond that, um, others have validated that this was a very real experience and that there was a little bit more going on, which we wouldn't have time to go into on this show. Um, but there, there were some other things going on in that, in that moment. So, um, again, this is something that most people would refer to as spiritually transformative. You would think I would have gone to a spiritual bookstore and bought a book or talked to somebody <laughs> about it. But what happened was I called my husband. He was a 100 miles away in Los Angeles. He drove his car out to San Bernardino County, picked me up, drove me into Los Angeles to our uh, primary care physician, the primary care physician said, well, you seem to be fine now. It looks like as you're getting older, you're just more susceptible to vasal vega phenomenon known as vasal vega, and you're very sensitive. And just be careful. Maybe don't talk on the phone when you're driving. And we <laughs> left very puzzled. And then my husband drove me 100 miles back to my car, and he drove 100 miles back to work in Los Angeles. So we talked about this from time to time and sort of theorized, gee, there must be something important that you have to do. But we had no idea what that might be. And I wasn't necessarily a very remarkable standout human being. And it seemed rather implausible that I would do something remarkable or important. And we just let that go. So it took um, a second NDE to put you on the right track, didn't it? Yes. Now, tell, tell us about that one, if, if unless you wanted to add something to the last story. No, no, that's um, quite, quite complete. Um, I had had a, a wonderful job. I really enjoyed my job. It was a very stressful job. We don't really have time to go on into that on this call. Mm -hmm. But um I became quite ill, and in hindsight now, we know that I had Lyme disease, and I also had the Epstein-Barr virus from a time uh, leftover from a time when I was younger and had mononucleosis, but they didn't know in the, in the 70s or 80s what really, I don't think, what Epstein-Barr even was. And so um, I went to a rheumatologist, and they tried to diagnose me and misdiagnosed me with many things and tried to... Uh, prescribe opioids to me, narcotics to me the very first visit with the doctor. And I declined that for many, many years, about eight or nine years into it. I finally succumbed to the opioids. And four years later on opioids, um, the opioids caused my brain to forget to tell my lungs to stop breathing, which of course made my heart stop. And I experienced a near-death experience in the middle of the night. Mm. In that... I was lying in bed. It was around, you know, somewhere between, you know, 1, 1 1.30 in the morning. And I felt uh, someone at my shoulders and someone at my feet. I was sort of in that twilight sort of state where I was a little bit awake and not really sure what was happening. And I was immediately propelled into what I can only describe as a white space. And... I saw a, a beautiful deciduous tree full of leaves, very healthy, 
um, some nondescript, what I can only describe as potentially angelic beings, maybe family members that had I chosen to stay that, that might have come forward, you know, had I chosen to stay, but they never really came into view. And a man, Lee, that looked very much like all of the depictions of Jesus in iconic religious art. And he walked toward me. He was wearing a white linen full length, uh, uh, I guess, tunic with a blue sort of shorter tunic over it. It was royal blue in color with a very simple belt, a rope belt tied at his waist. And he was wearing sandals and vibrant blue eyes and shoulder length um, hair. Uh, sort of dirty blonde, uh, not not tr- truly brunette hair. Mm-hmm. And um, he reached out his hand and said to me, you've suffered enough, your life is over, come with me. And my consciousness, you know, my consciousness was very much there. And, and you hear this from many NDE, all, almost all NDEers. I was very aware it was me. I was there. And the first thing I thought was, yep, I'm dead you know, taking a lot of drugs. This makes total sense, <laughs> right? You know, this it just made total sense. But the odd thing was that I questioned the in, the logic of it. I questioned leaving my husband, which made no sense because my husband was taking care of me. And, and I questioned what who would take care of my husband if I left. And, and I always say that was the single most ironic thought I could have ever or will ever have in my entire life. <laughs> and, and then uh, as he reached out for my hand, there was this deep knowing and I didn't understand it at the time. And, and now I do in hind, in reflection of my three month old NDE that I had something important to do. And I really began to think better of it. But at the same time, I was like, I think I'll go with Jesus. This really makes sense. This is this really doesn't, you know, sleeping 16 hours a day and watching a little HGTV and not really feeling capable and being such a burden for my husband. Yeah, it's probably better for me just to call this one, you know, a loss and and figure it out on the other side. But I started hearing noises behind me and I turned to look at what was going on behind me. And sure enough, there was a herd of horses and a herd of donkeys. Mm. And um, now I'm going I, I you've invited me to be on your show again next week for us to discuss yes. the topic of my experience with animals. But very briefly, I will say that prior to my death, I was a horse owner prior my near death prior to my near death i volunteered at a sanctuary where i had had to give up care and training and riding of my own horses because it just was no longer safe on the opioids i i couldn't remain balanced <clears throat> i would often get dizzy and nearly lose consciousness and so i had to place my own horse in a sanctuary near my home where I I could not abandon my horse. I went as often as I could to to brush him, to check up on him. I would muck stalls. I would be there for an hour, an hour and a half, and I would go back home and go back to bed and go to sleep. And it's all I had the energy for every day until eventually I was there maybe four days a week, three days a week, two days a week. And then for a few months, I didn't go at all. And then I had my near-death experience. So 
prior to my near death, I had been, had a lot of exposure with animals. And when I turned around, the horses were rising up on their hind legs, screaming, whinnying. The, the donkeys were braying very loudly and I could hear human words. I could hear them screaming, making animal noises, but the human words were, don't go, don't go. Don't you remember? You have something important to do. We need you. Don't go. And I immediately whipped back around to Jesus, my hand in his, pulled my hand out of his hand and said, sorry, Jesus, I'm going with them. Uh. And I have full body chills sharing this. <laughs> and I was immediately propelled back into my body, just hysterical, screaming and yelling at the top of my lungs. I just died. I just died. I just died. I just died over and over. I must have screamed it 20 or 30 times. Um, my lungs were on fire. The, I cannot even describe the burning from the inside of my lungs and my heart. It felt like. Someone very heavy was sitting on my chest. My heart just hurts so bad. And I have damage to the right side of my heart, um, supposedly from this event. Mm. And um, it was quite frightening. And that propelled me on a journey, as it does almost all near-death experiencers. We think we're alone. We think we're the only one this has only happened to. We don't really talk about it. At first, I tried to talk about it, but everybody thought I was crazy. So I didn't talk. I just went on a journey. And, you know, I went to Australia, and I worked with Aboriginal woman, amazing Aboriginal woman, and shaman from Brazil, and Native American masters. And I studied many religious philosophies and healing modalities, and all of that I did because for some reason, some unknown reason, I wasn't ready to die and I had something important to do, but I didn't know what it was. And even the creator at three months old did not tell me what that was. He just said I had something important to do and I had to return. So as unlikely as it was, as illogical as it was, that next day after my near death, I told my husband, I can't die. There's something important I need to do. I need to live. I need to get off of these opioids. I need to do something important. And he truly didn't question it. He loved me, un- loves me unconditionally, has supported me on this incredible journey, has spent more than half his life savings on my traveling around the world, you know, enrolling in, in workshops and certification programs and, and traveling around, attending conferences and and really trying to not only find myself, find that connection inside of me to the creator again. And it's really been an incredible journey. Mm. He must be a a remarkable man, your husband, because uh, so many relationships end on account of NDEs because the the person who didn't experience doesn't understand the change that's taken over the their their mate. So uh, you were very blessed that way. 
Yes, I understand the percentages are very high. And I have to say, in the beginning, we both thought I was a little crazy. We both thought it was the drugs. He more so than I. He has two degrees. Uh, he went to Caltech. He he went to UCLA. He has a, a degree in um, electrical engineering and computer science. And so in the beginning, he really did think I was crazy. But over the years, the synchronicities and the validation time and time again has just been unmistakable and undeniable. So he's really supported me and he travels with me when I speak and I do many different kinds of public speaking. I've been a keynote speaker at many different, um, you know, medical conferences and sharing my journey with opioids. I speak out against the overprescription of opioids and I do quite a bit of work with animals now as well, which I'm excited to talk to you about next week. Yes, I'm really looking forward to that. I love the image. And I expect Jesus knew exactly what what was going to happen and what you were going to do, even as he held your hand. But the the horses drawing you back with all their energy and beauty is just uh, wonderful. Um, I I can't wait for <laughs> next Monday to talk with you again. This this is going to be terrific. Um, uh, when did you, uh, when you came back, did you immediately experience uh, communication with animals or was it something that evolved over time? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just about to cry. Yes, uh, unfortunately, um, as with many NDEers, when we come back, the opening to the other side is maybe a little too wide and un- uncontrollable. And again, I hadn't heard, you know, I didn't know what new age was, alternative anything was. I didn't know where to seek help or that I even could seek help. And so there was a tremendous amount of information flowing. I knew when people were lying. I was talking to people, you know, dead people. I was talking to plants and animals. And it was all very crazy making and a little frightening in the beginning. And it took me several years to flesh it all out. And it also took me quite some time to get off the opioids. And until I was completely off the opioids, both my husband and myself weren't quite trusting of the information that was coming through. Well, we'll get into all of that next Monday. Unfortunately, it's all the time we've had, we have for today. Thank you, Jenny. This has been great. Um, my thanks to our guest, Jenny Jablonski for sharing her insights with us today and for coming back next week to tell us about uh, animal and plant communications. If you'd like to listen to the show again or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. For information on IANS, check out their website at iands.org. And join us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.